Today's reading is from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. That's page 1042 in the Church Bibles. So that's Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When, he's, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. So I was 19 years old, so it was about 20 years ago. Okay, I was 36. And I was a rather reluctant theology student at the London School of Theology. I had this horrible sinking feeling that God was going to call me to be a minister in a church. I was, if you like, a theology student trying to avoid the draft. And as I walked to chapel that morning, I had mixed feelings. On the one hand, lectures had been suspended for the day, and so that meant I didn't have to study New Testament Greek again. But on the bad side, it was a prayer day, and I was going to go to a lecture about prayer, and then we had the day stretching out in front of us to pray. And at 19, I have to confess, that didn't fill me with a lot of enthusiasm. I was much more preoccupied with an important rugby match was, that was coming up at the weekend. And we'd heard that our speaker that day was a Russian Orthodox priest, and that he lived uh, in his church. He had no possessions. He slept on the floor of this building in London, and he was going to teach us how to pray. And so, uh, as Metropolitan Anthony, and this is how he looked the day I met him, 
came in to speak, I was intrigued. He wore a long brown cassock. He had Jesus boots on with no socks. A big leather belt around his waist. He had a large Bible under one arm and a staff in the other. I honestly thought Elijah had been reincarnated. And he strode down the chapel and he stood at the lectern. And I remember he scowled at us, which I thought was a great way to start a prayer day. And then he leant forward and he said, I have been asked to teach you about prayer. You don't teach prayer. You teach God. And then people want to pray. He said, I was a young man. It was 1941. And I was working for the French resistance in Paris. By now, all thoughts of rugby have gone out of my head. I am riveted as a 19-year-old just leaning forward listening. He said, we got a call in the middle of the night after curfew that one of our uh, men was badly shot and unless he had medical attention that night, he was going to die. He said, I prayed. I picked up my medical bag and I went out of the door. He said, I, I knew the back streets. I went through the alleys. I used houses that were friendly to us. He said, all the time I knew I could be shot at any moment. And then he said, we got to the bridge that crossed the River Seine. And I had to get to the other side. And the bridge was completely floodlit. Arc lights all over the bridge. He said, my heart was pounding. I prayed again. And driven by fear, I ran as fast as I could. And he said, and in the middle of the bridge, Jesus Christ met me. He said, I fell down on my knees. And in the harsh glare of the arc lamps, I worshipped him. And then he said, after what I think was about 15 minutes, I stood up, walked to the other side, and saved the man's life. I've been asked to teach you about prayer, but you can't teach prayer. You teach God, and people want to pray. I then left the chapel that morning, inspired like at no time previously in my life, to go and start this adventure of prayer. There's a similar dynamic going on in the passage that Ruth read to us earlier from Luke chapter 11. Uh, it says that Jesus had been praying in a certain place. And when he came back to be with his disciples, they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. They'd obviously been watching and observing him. And they knew deep down that he prayed, this Jesus prayed, in a radically different and more engaging way than them. Now remember, the disciples were good Jewish boys. They'd been praying since they could speak. They'd been trained to pray. They knew prayers off by heart. But they also knew they just didn't pray like he did. Lord, teach us to pray. The way Jesus prayed inspired them to want to pray. 
to pray more, to pray differently, to pray better, to pray at another level. And so they say to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And there is even a slight note of urgency in the way they ask. If I had been listening in those Greek studies, I would have heard that the grammar there is, there's an urgency there. Lord, teach us now to pray. This morning, we start a new series called How to Pray. And I'm excited about this series. Not just for its content and the team of teachers that are going to be teaching it over the next couple of months, but how it links up with the various aspects of church life. We've got our reimagined prayer meetings that Rachel mentioned. We've got one next Sunday evening. As we come to God in prayer and ask him to help us reimagine what Upton Vale looks like for the 21st century. We've got some wonderful uh, plans about a prayer room that you're going to be hearing about over the coming weeks. That's going to be a kind of hub, an engine room for prayer in this building. You're going to be hearing about our plans for a 24-7 prayer week that we saturate every minute, every hour of a whole week as we come together as a church to pray. You'll have seen in the foyer this book. Uh, Pete Gregg, if you've not, you're not familiar with him, he's a national treasure. This book is the most accessible um, book I've ever read on prayer. And it does all of that without in any way compromising some of the mystery and the wonder of prayer. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. And some of you in your small groups are going to be using the videos that go alongside the book and the discussion questions there so that there's a whole package of things around this teaching series about prayer. And I'm excited about it. But actually, frankly, it all starts or stops with this question. Lord, teach us to pray. You see... If you're not asking the question, there is little point in teaching the series. There's no point in giving an answer to someone who is not asking the question. A few years ago now, I got on a plane in Brazil. I was coming back from Bolivia with uh, a Christian organization called Tear Fund. And uh, as we got on the plane and we had the, uh, the safety announcements, I'd been on a plane a number of times before. I knew what I thought they were going to say. And so, frankly, my book was a lot more interesting. So I just read my book. The plane got to 30,000 feet and then an alarm went off and it immediately went into a steep dive which had all the stewards running to their seats buckling themselves in, and I had an air stewardess look opposite me, and she was clearly terrified. That was not a good sign. Guess what I did then? Where was that safety card? Now, what did it say? There is absolutely no point teaching someone, uh, telling someone the answer when they're not asking the question. And that's what's going, that's what's happening here in this example. Because the thing is, We have to ask ourselves this morning, do you want to learn to pray? In your heart, is there an unvoiced ache which says with a sense of urgency, Jesus, teach me to pray? So the thing is that if there's not that sort of longing in your heart, whoever you are, something has gone very badly wrong. Something has gone wrong with how you understand prayer, how you see yourself, how you see God, and how you understand the needs of the world. 
And all that will become clear as we look at just the opening two verses of this prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples. So the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray. And Jesus responds to the disciples' request by teaching them a version of what we now call the Lord's Prayer. And interestingly, what follows in Luke chapter 11 is not the same as the words that Jesus uses in Matthew 6. Both the context and some of the content are different, which suggests it's the broad themes of these prayers rather than the actual precise words that are are, are important. And that Jesus was comfortable to vary them around those broad themes. But before we get into the text itself, let's, I really want us to notice that when the disciples asked Jesus this question, Lord, teach us to pray, there was something very important that Jesus did not say. Jesus didn't say something that actually most of the people here this morning would say if somebody came to us and said, how do you pray? Help me to get started on prayer. Jesus doesn't say something that most of us would actually say. Jesus doesn't say, just talk to God. And that's very important. And here's why. The great academic disciplines of anthropology, psychology, archaeology, and sociology all point to one basic truth. And that is, to be human is to pray. Prayer is a historical and global phenomena. And in virtually all surveys, a very high percentage of people say that they pray. In fact, often in surveys, it reveals more people who pray than say they believe in God in the same survey. Go figure. There seems to be a human instinct for prayer, which the great theologian Karl Barth called incurable God sickness. And even in the secular West, there are few practicing atheists around an intensive care bed. Prayer is a primal instinct of being human. And the vast majority of people, if they're honest, will say that at one point in their lives or another, they pray. I remember a couple of years before the chapel incident that I told you about earlier, when I was driving my car, my grandma's car actually, uh, which makes it even worse, and was messing around in the car, oblivious to the dangers as I was at 17, and I had an accident. And at the point of impact, there was a deep guttural, primal cry as I shouted, Oh God! And I was not blaspheming. It was a prayer. Pumped full of adrenaline, it was still a prayer. Freud and others have understood prayer as human beings trying to adapt to their environment and get control over the forces of nature. Others see it not so much as trying to communicate with God, but rather as a form of personal meditation, seeking inner peace. Psychologist Carl Jung understood prayer as turning inward rather than reaching outward. And mystics of all religions understand prayer as seeing the human personality dissolve and absorbed into some infinite being in some way. And so on and so forth. 
people's ideas about prayer are very, very different. So the real question about prayer is not should we pray, because it seems that most of us do. But it's more about how to pray and to whom. And that's exactly what Jesus concentrates on here. One thing, though, can be said clearly right from the outset of this series. It's a statement of the glaringly obvious, but it's not said clearly enough so often. Since the goals and the gods are so different in the minds of everyone who prays, you can simply never say that prayer is all basically the same. Nearly everyone prays, but all, not all prayers are the same. And what follows in Jesus' teaching are the core distinctives of Christian prayer. So please note, Jesus doesn't respond to the disciples' question by saying, oh, just talk to God. In such a confusing world where so many different people pray in different ways to different gods with different aims, that would be distinctly unhelpful advice. But there is a distinctly Christian way to pray, says Jesus. And that's what Jesus models here. And we'll look at just the first couple of verses. And so it begins, this distinctly Christian way of praying, with Father. <laughs> We're one word in and we've got to stop. With the very first word of the prayer... We're immediately at the very epicenter of what makes Christian prayer absolutely unique. Because not everybody gets to call God Father, right? With the opening word, the character of prayer is immediately determined by the character of God himself. To call the creator and sustainer of the universe Father is the unique selling point of Christianity. Father, to be able to call the creator God of the universe Father is only possible through Jesus Christ by praying literally in the name of Jesus. Prayer to the one true God is only possible through what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. On the cross, Jesus became sin for us so that we could become sons like him. So it says all over the Bible, and I'm just quoting one from Hebrews 13. It says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. We can only pray to God through Jesus. And when we do, we get to uniquely call him Father. Tim Keller says that just in the same way as we cannot look directly at the sun without being blinded, we have to use a filter and look through that filter. So we cannot look at the glory of God, this majestic, wonderful, eternal, transcendent God. We can only approach God through Jesus, through what Jesus has done on the cross, the way his death reconciled us to this transcendent, holy, awesome God. It is through Jesus we pray, and it is through Jesus we call God Father. Prayer is like the light switch. The switch has no power in itself, but rather it connects the bulbs to the power. Praying in Jesus' name is not a magical phrase. It's a shorthand way of saying, I am now coming to you, God, in prayer 
trusting completely in the access that Jesus' death and resurrection has made possible for me. I am coming to pray in the name of Jesus. It's shorthand for that profound truth. Coming to pray through what Jesus has done is the switch that connects people with God. And that's what this prayer does. It grounds our relationship with God in what Jesus has done. Over and over again, every time we say it, Father, there's a power in its repetition, if only we could get past its familiarity. We can actually think about what we're saying. Father, God always hears the prayers of those who in Christ are his sons. But to call God Father is not just about being heard. It's about relationship. To call God Father is to be reminded that we are loved. Again, to pray this prayer regularly is to ground our very identity in the truth of the Bible. That in and through Jesus, God has found a way of loving us completely and perfectly. It's to learn to pray like this is an invitation to start to trust our hearts to the Father's love. It's to be reminded that in prayer we begin to experience what we actually believe. That we are loved by God. In prayer, God longs for us to learn to be loved and to trust and experience his Father's love. So, in your prayers, please don't pray to God. Jesus died on a cross To give us unique access to God. We are different to the other religions of the world. We are invited through Jesus to call him Father. Let's pray to Father. Let's pray to Jesus who intercedes before the Father. Let's not just call him God like everybody else. The next line is hallowed be your name. Holiness is basically the meaning of the word hallowed. In other words, this God who is our Father is one we approach with awe and wonder because he is entirely other. He transcends everything we know. God is holy. Hallowed be your name. There is no contradiction between loving God and calling him Father and fearing God and being in awe of him. The fear of God is that profound respect and awe Awe, which means we tremble with the privilege of being in his presence. We're afraid of grieving him. We do not hallow his name unless we are profoundly in awe of him. Ingratitude, indifference, complacency, none of that hallows God. Hallowed be your name. So here's the thing. True prayer both requires awe and produces awe. True prayer requires wonder at who God is and produces wonder at who God is. To pray, hallowed be your name, is to begin our prayer by acknowledging God for who he says he is in the Bible. And it's to ask that everything about us points to the wonder of who he is. Hallowed be your name, starting with the person who's praying this prayer. In praying this way, we are praying that God would keep us from dishonoring the God to whom we pray. 
And that he would empower us to become holy ourselves. Hallowed be your name is all about this God. It's not about us. Hallowed be your name is to respond appropriately to the God revealed in the Bible. Without the Bible, prayer immediately becomes detached from the reality of who God is. <laughs> Left to themselves, our hearts will quickly create a God who doesn't exist anywhere else other than in the mirror. Think about that. It's the great irony of faith. That we're made in God's image, and if we're not very careful, we start returning the favor. Prayer is both speaking and listening. When we say prayers, it's our response to the conversation God has already begun in and through his word, the Bible. That's why prayer and Bible reading have to go together. And that's why prayer starts with acknowledging the terrifying holiness of God revealed in the Bible. If God is not the starting point of our prayers, then we will be at the center and our needs will become the sole focus of our prayers. And so Jesus goes on with this theme, your kingdom come. He stops there in Luke, as we know in Matthew, he adds the words, your will be done on earth as in heaven. This is a prayer that asks God to rule and reign and for that rule and reign to break out among us now. It's a recognition that the problems of our world cannot be solved by human endeavor alone. And it's a cry to God to heal the pain and suffering of the world because he is our only hope. Several things start to happen when we pray like this. First, by inference, we're asking God to fully rule in us. May your king, kingdom come starts with me, right? We recognize we're part of the world's problems until we become part of the world's answer. But to pray this prayer regularly also means that we become future-orientated people with a longing to see the future reign of God breaking out in the present now. And here lies another big idea about prayer. Most people, if you ask them, believe that prayer, is, uh, prayer to God is a way of trying to get God to do what we want. Whereas what we find in the teaching of Jesus here is that this kind of prayer is about more about getting more of what God wants into us. Let me say that again. Most people believe that prayer to God is a way of trying to get God to do what we want, whereas what we find in the teaching of Jesus is that this kind of prayer is about getting more of what God wants into us. The order of lines in the opening words of the prayer here are so important. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Christian prayer always starts with God, not us. It starts with the God the Bible reveals, not the God of our imagination. Prayer starts with calling God Father through Jesus. It starts with an invitation to trust in his love through the saving work of Jesus Christ. It starts with pausing in awe and wonder. And it starts with delight and gratitude. It starts with a breathless 
Wow. It begins with worship. It begins with praying for his rule and reign, his will to be done, his agenda, not ours, his way, not ours. Only in this kind of prayer do we finally treat God as God deserves to be treated. Only this kind of prayer is actually really praying at all. It's only this kind of prayer that dethrones us. We're not always obsessed with our, we are always obsessed with ourselves. And this kind of prayer reorientates us. It's not about us, it's about him. Father, your kingdom come. It's not until we learn to really worship God in prayer that we can see that our heart is horribly disordered. And if we don't learn to put God first on his terms, not ours, our prayers will do more harm than good. There is a way of praying that will do more harm than good. Our prayers will be part of the problem, not part of the answer. There'll be little more than turning our worries to God and worrying in God's direction. There'll be little more than projections of our selfishness. That kind of prayer will not heal our hearts nor change the world because it does not reorientate us. In prayer, worship of God shows us just how badly distorted our lives have become. We learn to be honest and see that our desires are destructive and contradictory and that we all have passions that war against our soul. The chronology and the development of this prayer is absolutely crucial. Adoration and thanksgiving come first because they heal the heart of our self-centeredness. Wow. Step away from the lectern for a moment. So the bottom line is that pretty much all of us have been to prayer meetings in churches that according to Jesus aren't really Christian. That actually have done more harm than good. They have not started with worship. They've just been a succession of shopping list prayers about our needs, our wants, what we want to see happen. And they've been little more than worrying in God's direction. Ouch. This is a distinctly Christian way of praying. Nearly everyone prays, but not all prayers are the same. Jesus did not say, just talk to God. He taught us a very set introduction, a way that starts with God and not with us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. So why is prayer of such vital importance? Because it's in prayer that a mere human being, locked into time and space as we are, connects and has relationship with the eternal creator God who made and sustains the universe. Its importance is on every page of the Bible. Prayer is of all-consuming importance. 
Prayer is to the Christian what the umbilical cord is to a baby. It's the means by which we access everything we need for life. Prayer is the voice of faith. Failure to pray is a failure to treat God as God. Prayer is God's breath in men returning to its place of birth. It's profoundly transformative. Prayer tunes our hearts to God and that makes us joyful. And in turn, our personal prayer then changes the people around us. Because prayer makes us different, prayer then makes others different. It's actually only in prayer before God that we own, we become our true selves. There is absolutely nothing in human experience than is greater than to pray. And so finally, to learn to pray like this, if prayer is this important, we have to do what Jesus did and find your place and make the time. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished, the disciples asked him. Jesus was the son of God, but he learnt that he had to find his place and make the time. If we are going to access everything that God has made at our disposal through Jesus, then we, like Jesus, need to find our place and make the time. A number of years ago, I wrote an article for a magazine. They'd approached me and said, would you go on a Christian um, uh, uh, retreat to a monastery? And uh, would you write about the experience afterwards? To which I said, I will, if I can do it anonymously. And they said, yeah, sure. So I, uh, a few months later, turned up at this monastery and uh, I spent the next 48 hours locked in a little cell just praying. And then I wrote about it afterwards. A few months later, I was at Spring Harvest when I met a, a prolific writer on prayer. She's, she died a few years ago, a lady called Joyce Huggett. Anybody read some of her books, Listening to God? I mean, she wrote over 20 books. Very spiritual lady. And uh, I, w- I was talking to her in, uh, after a session at Spring Harvest. And uh, uh, I said, uh, actually, I, I, I try to go on prayer retreats. And she laughed. And she said, I'd never imagined you going on a prayer retreat. I said, thanks very much. Do you mind? I wrote an article about it recently in a magazine. And at that point, she had complete hysterics. And she said, that was you. You do need help. Come and see me. <laughs> so... The next month, I went to Bournemouth, and I met Joyce and her husband. She was quite old in years by this time. And uh, I said, come on, Joyce, I, I really want to learn how to pray. Tell me about how to pray. And she said, come with me. And uh, she took me in their flat overlooking the sea at Bournemouth to this room in her flat, which was completely set aside for prayer. She said, this is where I pray. We don't do anything else in here other than pray. And then she turned to me and she said, isn't it wonderful, Andy, when in the middle watches of the night, everybody's asleep, but we are praying. I really didn't want to disappoint her. And I went, And then she said this to me. She said, have you found your place? 
She said, that's the key to praying. Have you found your place? She said, you go anywhere in your house and you'll be distracted by things that need doing. There'll be the computer or there'll be housework to do or there'll be things, chores, errands. Any, have you found your place where you can be still? If you find your place, you'll find everything in, in prayer works from there. So if we are going to ask this question of Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. We need to notice that he had a certain place. Have you got a place? I'm going to send a link out on uh, email this week to uh, a, a, a short 10-minute video by um, Bill Hybels. And uh, whatever happened in later on in Bill Hybels' life, this, pr this 10 minutes is worth its weight in gold in finding your place. I do recommend it to you. But where do you pray? At stages of my life, it's been in woods. It's in Scotland, it's on a big rock behind a shepherd's croft. It's been by the beach. It's been in my study. It's been in a little shepherd's, in, in, in a hut in a retreat center. One of my friends prays in his loft. He says, there's nothing up there that can distract me. And I, and I can't hear the phone either. Have you found your place? Have you? Because that's where it starts or stops. And then it's about not just finding our place, but making the time. You'll never find time to pray. Never. You have to make time to pray. And the irony is that we always make time for what we value. I was talking to someone recently who said, oh, I really, I believe, but I really, really struggle with prayer. And I said, well, I've got this great book by Pete Gregg, and it's fantastic. Just take a chapter a day. It'll be absolutely amazing. I, I, I promise you it will help you. And his words to me were, actually, I'm really busy with study at the moment. I won't be able to do that until my, my degree is finished. What that young man didn't see was that he makes time to keep up with all sorts of sporting events, to read all sorts of uh, political news, to do all sorts of hobbies. It was actually a decision. I don't have, I'm not making time to pray. We all live busy lives. Jesus was incredibly pressured. But if we are to learn to pray, we have to find our place and make the time. And so finally, back to Metropolitan Anthony that morning in chapel. He went on to say this, the realm of God is dangerous. You must enter into it and not, and not just seek information about it. In prayer, we, we encounter the God of our theology. We begin to experience what we believe. You have to enter into it and not just seek information about it. And so at the start of this prayer series, I want to say to everybody who sees Upton Vale as their church, imagine. Imagine what it would be like if you and I and all of us were to say, because of who God is, 
because of what prayer is, because of who I am, and because of the needs of the world, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And imagine what it would be like here if we had an urgency about that. That meant that we would all find our place and make the time and ask that question. Imagine. And so to the Jesus who said, ask and it will be given to you. I pray, Lord, let that adventure begin. Let's pray. So in the quietness of these moments, we're going to be sung over in the words of the Lord's Prayer. And as we sit here in the silence, I want to invite you just to shut your eyes and allow the Spirit of God to begin to search our hearts. tease out our complacency and our compromise and to bring us to a point where with a degree of urgency and need we say again, Jesus, teach me to pray. And then as we continue to be sung over, let's just begin to allow Jesus to lead our thinking about where our place is and about where we're going to make the time this week to pray. Let's enjoy these moments of silent, prayerful reflection. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Mm-hmm.